Listen to Spurs Cast, episode 516. My name is Paul Garcia and I am the host of Spurs Cast. Joining me for this episode 516 will be Project Spurs' Benjamin Bornstein. If you're on Twitter, please follow him at the underscore Boomstein. In our discussion, Ben and I um, recapped the Spurs' last three games. We discussed how the Spurs have fared through 10 games of the season now that they've completed um, their first 10 games of the 2019 season. Since I have been on, we go ahead and have a quick discussion about the Spurs' um, drafts um, watch, basically, where 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 they where we think that some prospects, uh, not not some prospects, where the Spurs will land when the, when the draft eventually gets here, just based on on how early the season has gone, and then also some some names, some some prospects that Ben has been scouting uh, regarding the Spurs, and then lastly, we'll preview the Spurs' upcoming games against the uh, Houston Rockets and Sacramento Kings. Please enjoy my conversation with Benjamin Bornstein. And now, um, coming on to the Spurs cast from Atlanta, Georgia, I believe it still is. Is that correct, Ben? Yeah, that is it. Okay, so from Atlanta, Georgia, is Project Spurs' own Benjamin Bornstein. Um, you can follow him on Twitter, at the underscore Boomstein. Ben, how's it going, man? It is going great, sir. Uh, the season has started. College basketball season has started. I'm basically living in the honeymoon phase of my year. I'm pretty great. Yeah, so so Project Spurs listeners, if if you recognize Ben, you know he was on the Spurs cast a lot last season, and then also if you read his work on Project Spurs, he's one of our go-to draft experts that we really rely on. And in the last two drafts now, he's actually um, written about prospects that the Spurs eventually picked in in the last two years uh, of the drafts. So, so we'll get into some some draft discussion later on in this episode. But first, Ben, let's talk about some more of the, the more um, recent um, uh, developments with the Spurs, and that's their last three games uh, since I recorded with with a Michael DeLeon last week. So, Ben, on Saturday, the Spurs hosted the New Orleans Pelicans, and they ended up winning that game by 14 points. Um, they were up by 21 with 10 minutes left. New Orleans got within eight points, but the Spurs were able to hold on. Then the following night, the Spurs had their, their first back-to-back of the season as they hosted the Orlando Magic. Now, the Spurs went down by 26 with nine, uh, 26 left in the game. They got within five points, but the Magic held on, so the Spurs ended up losing by seven. Then on Wednesday, the Spurs traveled to Miami, where they were down for most of the night. They went down by 19 with 10 minutes left in the game. They got, again, within five points. They made a rally, but it wasn't enough as the Heat um, were able to hold on for another seven-point victory on their side. Uh, So just a quick note, Ben, about those three games. Uh, Rudy Gay missed the last two games of the Spurs' losses. Uh, He's he's hurt again with the right heel soreness. Uh, That was something that plagued him last year. Uh, Pal Gasol missed the Miami game with the, with the right foot injury. And then Derek White made his return against Miami. Uh, so just real quick, Ben, what are your thoughts on the Spurs as they went one and two in their last three games? It, it, it makes no sense because the Pelicans are actually a good team. And then the two teams they lost to were very beatable. The Orlando Magic are not a particularly good team this year. Miami's okay. I, I can understand that loss. Pal Gasol's out. Derek White, it's his first game back. He only played about 15 minutes, so... He didn't do a whole lot for the Spurs. They mostly threw him in there to say, all right, we're going to get you. We're going to try and get you warm as the season gets going here now that you're back from your injury. So that much I understand. It makes sense. Uh, but you mentioned in both those losses, they were down huge and they make a they make a great comeback. And it's at some point you have to say, OK, you know, we, we can't we can't make these comebacks every week, guys. We can't do this in games like this. If we. We we gotta have we have to get out in front. And we have to keep it close, and then we have to blow these teams out in the fourth quarter or the second half, whatever it might be. It's you know you you can't play from 
behind and you can't play from that far behind for the majority of a game. You just, you can't turn on, you ju- you can't just turn it on and expect to win. I mean, LeBron James is finding that out now with the Lakers and the lineups that he's playing with. He, you know, it used to be with the Cavs, he had enough help where you can just say, all right, fourth quarter, let's just own the fourth quarter and we'll win this game and go home. All right, cool guys. Great. He's finding out he can't do that this year. It's it's similar for the Spurs where they don't quite have the guys that they're used to having as far as veteran leadership and even as far as, you know, playing defense or playing offense. You have totally different guys on this team. The only the only guys who have really gotten consistent minutes the last few years with the team are LaMarcus Aldridge and Patty Mills. And yes, Bryn Forbes has been on the team, but he was getting shuttled back and forth between Austin and San Antonio. And he's not, he wasn't playing as many minutes as he is this year. So, oh, and Davis Bertans. I forgot. I can't, I can't forget him. That's my guy. (laughs) You know, that uh, they're in a much different, I think they're, they're, I won't, I won't say the chemistry is bad, but I will say that they do need to gel a little more and there, there needs to be, I, I don't know, maybe, and I haven't gotten to watch as many of the games as some of the, as some other people have. So I haven't been able to actually watch body language and things like that. But, you know, you just, again, you just can't get down by 20 plus points for the majority of a game and then expect to make a comeback. Yeah. And I think that's been pop's message of, you know, he, he recently after the Miami game, um, he, he reportedly said that, uh, that they were that they played soft basically. And so that's usually one of those terms where pop knows that the team isn't giving their full effort for 48 minutes um, he's already started to bring that 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 term out in the in the tenth game of the season, and, and it kind of it, it was almost like those last two losses are like, uh, you know, you know, really bad just because of the fact, like you mentioned, the level of competition isn't, you know, they're not they're not a, a great team, the Orlando and Miami, um, or New Orleans was considered a really good team with Anthony Davis in the lineup, and and you know the Spurs were able to get a comfortable win against them. Then all of a sudden Orlando comes and they have defensive issues for most of the night. On the flip side, in Miami, it was their offense that had that had the main issues. So they're just not putting together those complete games. And obviously, um, I really think that that the injury to Rudy Gay is a, is a big um, factor on, on that part, just because he's their their third go to scorer. Uh, you know, in terms of being able to be a facilitator, create. Uh, he's out there. He on defense. You know, he when he plays at the four, he's he's okay. Um, so and then like you mentioned with Derek White, it's going to take some time for him to become effective, just because it's his first game uh, from the last six weeks. Um, well, and the other thing is, I mean, you want to talk about soft. The the Spurs right now are 26th in the league in rebounds per game. That's that's just unacceptable if you're supposed to be a good defensive team. And yeah. you know, I I understand where they're they're in the bottom 10 of steals and blocks a game. I get that. They don't they don't gamble a lot on defense and they don't try and you know, get huge highlight block plays. They're going to try and make you shoot over them, things like that. I get that. But I will say they are the best team as in terms of not fouling teams. They're averaging less than 20 fouls a game, and it's top, that's tops in the league. So they do have that going for them. But if you, don't, if you don't board the ball and finish off a defensive possession, that's what kills you over the course of a game. Oh, for sure, for sure. And actually, we're going to get into some of those stats in our in our next topic. So let's go ahead and get into that second topic, Ben. And that's now, um, you know, the first 10, 10 games of the season are finally complete. So we actually have our first sample size. And in that sample size, the Spurs are 6-4. and four. 
they put together a four-game winning streak, but then they follow that up with a two-game losing streak. Um, right now, they are on pace uh, for a, to be a 42-and-a-half-win team, according to cleaningtheglass.com. So I, I broke down some stats, Ben, on offense and defense, and I'm, I'm, rank, I'm ranking them in four different categories, I'm saying, or five different categories. You're either elite, you're good, average, bad, or horrible. So let's, let's go ahead and talk about the offense first, you know, through 10 games. Um, okay. okay, so let's start off with the good, the, the elite stuff. They are elite in taking care of the ball. They're number one in, in turnover percentage in the league, so they're only turning the ball over on 11.8% of their possessions. And this is a good credit to Brent Forbes, who's who's been thrown as the starting point guard until Derek White got back, uh, that he's a, he, he hasn't been you know a, 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 um, a negative on that end of the floor. What have you thought about their, 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 their care of possessions? Obviously, when you're number one in the league at, at not turning the ball over, that's a good sign, especially when you need to you need to be as efficient as possible with your offensive possessions when you are struggling to rebound the ball. Uh, you you can't give the other team more possessions by taking bad shots or by turning the ball over. And obviously, the Spurs are not turning the ball over, so they've got half the equation down. And I think. If they if they, they they don't even need to improve monumentally across the board, they're they're really just they need to have some small upticks in certain areas. I think like three point attempts in a league where all you do is space space out and shoot the ball. It is unacceptable for a team like the Spurs who want to be a playoff team to be ranked absolutely last in the league in three-point attempts a game. That's, I mean, to me, that's just unacceptable. Yeah, and, you know, there, there was a stat I put on Twitter last night after the game ended against the Heat where they are now one and four in games where they fall behind by 10 points. And I think that, would you agree with me that that, that is because when they fall down by double digits, they don't have the three-point shooting to bring them back into a game? Would you agree with that point? I don't even know if it's that they don't have the three-point shooting or so much as they just refuse to shoot the three because Bryn Forbes can shoot threes. Mm-hmm. Davis Bertans can shoot it. Marco Bellinelli can shoot it. LaMarcus Aldridge, to an extent, can shoot it. Rudy Gay, when he's playing. DeMar DeRozan can shoot threes. So I don't know if it's so much that they can't shoot threes as it is they won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, again, that's a pro- probably a product of their of their system and the players that they have there, especially like their two go their three go to guys, should I say, are Lamarcus, uh, DeRozan, and Rudy Gay, and those guys are very mid range heavy type of players. Um, let's continue going on with the offense, Ben. So, so I, I rank their overall offense as good. They're eleventh in the league, um, scoring one hundred eleven um, points per one hundred possessions. They are average in free throw rate in terms of getting to the free throw line. Um, they're 17th, uh, getting there 20.3 times per 100 field goal attempts. Um, and then on, in terms of offense on the bad stuff, not horrible, but bad, um, effective field goal percentage. They're only making 50.7% uh, uh, sh- of their shots in, in terms of effective field goal percentage. They're 22nd. And then, as you mentioned, offensive rebounding percentage is not a strength of theirs. Uh, they're only 20, they're only grabbing 25% of their offensive boards, which is 21st in the league. And again, a lot of that has to do with, with the pop finally playing small with LaMarcus at the five, and then either one of Powell or Jakob Pertl um, at, at, as the backup five. Uh, so what do you think about their, their scoring? And like I mentioned, their free throw attempts and, and their, their shooting overall. It's, it's hard to watch. I imagine it's hard to watch at times if you're a Spurs fan and you're, you 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 know you're staying up late to watch west coast games and you see the likes of denver and golden state and 
other and Phoenix and whoever else shooting a bunch of threes, hitting a bunch of threes, scoring tons of points. And you got the Spurs out here who are shooting a ton of mid-range shots. It is, let me tell you, I know from experience, the mid-range shot is the least sexy shot available to you. Okay. I know this for a fact. I have much experience with this. Um, I basically only shoot mid-range shots playing pickup ball, but I also play where every basket's worth one, so it doesn't really help me to shoot a three. Um, the spur, it feels like at times the Spurs are playing like it's pickup and everything's worth one point. Yeah. Um, which you, you, you can't play that way in the NBA. Things don't work that way. So um, obviously they have to get to the free throw line more often. They have, to, they have to drive the ball. They have to find ways to get it in. If, if you're posting up LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, he's got a, 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 you know, he granted he will make his fadeaway shots. He'll make his turnarounds, but at some point he has to pound it in there and say, I'm going, I'm going to get fouled. I'm going to get you to foul me. I'm going to the free throw line. We're going to slow the game down one and two, I'm going to make my free throws so that we, you know, one, we have a good free throw shooting percentage. We get, we get points from the charity stripe. We get easy points. That's that is what you hope for. You want points in the easiest way possible. And taking a mid-range shot is the probably the hardest possible way to get points. So I think there there might need to be a philosophy change, to be honest. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Lamarcus, because the one thing I, I, I wanted to know was that in their last two losses, um, he hasn't been one of their top three scorers in either game against Orlando or against Miami. Um, Hassan Whiteside really, really um, dominated that game on both ends of the floor as in terms of the big man department. And I do wonder if maybe he was fatigued from taking on Anthony Davis. And he played really well against Davis, by the way. He had like 22 points and I think 15 rebounds. Um, but something you mentioned was his shot. And, you know, he he, he ranks up there. He's in the 99th percentile of, of taking mid-range shots. He's, he's taking 57% of his looks are mid-range. But this year he's off to a bad start in terms of accuracy. He's only making 31% of those shots placing him in the 27th percentile. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, obviously, it's a small sample size, and we and we know LaMarcus for his career is, is, a, is an excellent uh, mid-range shooter. But if this thing doesn't improve by, like, game 25, what do you think he should do to to maybe um, change his philosophy in terms of his own personal game on offense? He, I, I would say either when you get it in the, when he gets it in the post, just go to town and pound on guys if, if he has the advantage there. If not, I mean, you gotta you gotta create some plays. You gotta draw up some plays if you're Coach Popovich and say, "All right, we're gonna post up Lamarcus, but I want everyone else moving. We're gonna find he's gonna find open guys, and hopefully, we'll get open threes." And you know, if he has if he has an advantage against a slower big, maybe you have him sit out on the perimeter. That way, if if his big drifts out there, you free up the paint. For, for your drivers who can get to the rim. And if they can't, you know, if they can't finish or whatever, they still have people around them. Hopefully the, the other defense is collapsing and they can find guys on the perimeter. So I think I'm not saying abandon the mid range by any means, but he definitely needs to take a smaller percentage of his shots from that area on the floor. Yeah, and I think that's something why you saw why he was so ineffective against Whiteside was because he couldn't really bully Whiteside in the paint. He couldn't, you know, get past him. Uh, down to the low block, so he had to basically rely on that mid-range jumper, and it wasn't going in. Now, now it was a really bad night, just um, statistically, where uh, he he had basically one of the worst shooting nights of his career, especially one as a spur. That was a, that was a fact. Um, so I, I really think that um, you know, again, it's only ten games, but if that percentage for mid-range doesn't improve, they do need to look about at, at changing the offense in terms of getting him going a little bit more because they definitely need him 
to be scoring the ball with DeRozan in order for them to have a chance in each night. Um, ben, let's go ahead and move over to the defense now. Uh, let's talk about the good stuff for them. Uh, they are actually elite in terms of keeping their opponent off the off the boards. Uh, they're they're only allowing opponents to grab nine, uh, 24.8% of their offensive rebounds, which ranks ninth in the league. And also, uh, like you mentioned, a, a stat you threw out there was the free throw rate for opponents. They're only letting a team shoot 165 um, free throws per, per 100 uh, field goal attempts, which is second best in the league. So what do you think about their, their, their rebounding defensively and also their, um, they, like you mentioned, not, not fouling opponents? I mean, that's great. Those, those two things, I mean, those are, and, and here's the other thing. I think some, sometimes when they do struggle on defense, I think it's because of their offense, their offense isn't where it needs to be. And so that puts more pressure on their defense to be great. And, so far, it's been playing really well. I mean, I'm, like you just said, it is elite. It is in the elite tier of defenses right now, in those two categories at least. So I, I think as the season goes on, I really just think if the if the offense plays a little better, it'll help their defense even more. I just feel that, you know, they're for the most part, they're doing everything they can on defense that can be expected. They don't, they don't have DeJounte Murray, who who is going to be their lockdown perimeter defender. Derek White's going to take some time to get back to to going at a pace he is used to or going at a pace he needs to be at for uh you know for for this level of play and I think once once Derek White kind of gets his feet under him again, the perimeter defense will be shored up a bit cuz I think that's where a lot of the struggle was. Yeah, well we're about to get to that right now. So um so now, like, there's no – in terms of these defensive stats, the four factors, there's no good or average good statistics for them. Uh, they're actually just the bad category, not the horrible, though. So in the bad category, um, just overall defense, they're giving up 110.5 points for 100, which is 19th overall. Um, effective field goal percentage for the opponent, teams are making 53.5% of their shots, which is 19th, not not good, like you mentioned there, that they're, that they're having trouble on the perimeter. Um, teams are just making more shots against them from three and the two-point range. And then lastly – uh, something that you really missed DeJounte Murray from, and then even like Kyle Anderson and Danny Green last year, was turnover percentage for opponents. The Spurs are not creating turnovers for the opponent. Uh, opponents are only th- turning the ball over 13.6% of the time, which is 22nd. Again, the Spurs don't have that defensive philosophy where they're a gambling-type team, but they're missing those 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 type of athletes like like Murray who, who just have those instincts who can easily you know get steals and passing lanes um, and come up with, with um, you know blocks from, from, from different ends of the floor. Uh, and so... What do you think about those stats, and do you think that that that's an area where Derek White can help them, like you just mentioned? Yeah, I, I, exactly as you just said it. That you you just named pretty much the all arms team that the Spurs no longer have. They don't have dudes with stupidly long, lanky arms anymore to get their hands in passing lanes and make life difficult for guards out on the perimeter. Uh, that I mean, you, getting rid of Danny Green and Kyle Anderson. Spurs fans should have seen uh, this downturn coming as far as getting steals, getting the other team to turn the ball over. They're not as pesky as they were in years past. And that that's, it's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is for these players. They, you know, you can't, you can't tell Bryn Forbes, Hey man, go out there and get four inches on your wingspan. You know, it doesn't work like that. So it's, I think it's just, it's unfortunately just those are uh, those are the pieces the Spurs have to work with. And so they have to find they're going to have to find other ways 
to create turnovers or at least create more bad shots for the other team so that they can they can get the rebound and get out and transition. Yeah, and that's the thing Pops talked about, um, you know, where he's kind of being a little bit more patient with the defense because he knows that this is a brand new team, basically. A lot of these guys aren't known for their defensive, you know, strengths. Um, and he, so I think a lot of that, too, has to be communication, especially like in the effective field goal percentage part, how, how teams are, how the Spurs are 19th. Um, I think that a lot of that, the teams do carve them up sometimes and get wide open threes, um, get some some uncontested layups or dunks at the rim. And I think, again, that's part of communication and, and just guys that don't have that defensive um backbone uh in their profile it's just it's just not there and so that that's more of a pops teaching and, and coaching that that'll have to improve that area um so ben let's look real quick at some of the wins that they've had um you know they have six wins on the year i was looking at winning at terms of winning percentage now it's early but they've basically beaten a lot of bad teams you know they've been minnesota the lakers dallas phoenix and new orleans and all those teams right now are below 500 at the moment obviously those teams can get better as the year goes on Right. Now they have they have lost to uh, one really good team, which is Portland. They've won Portland's winning seventy three percent of their games. They lost to Indiana, uh, who and Miami, who are both five hundred or above. And then Orlando was the only bad team at the moment, thirty winning thirty six percent of their games. And what's what's, a, what's an interesting fact is that the Spurs are zero and three right now against the Eastern Conference. So <laughs> that's just a random some randomness. Um, so what have you thought about the fact that they haven't played really good teams? They haven't played Boston, Toronto, Golden State. Uh, yet, uh, and yet they're 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 only getting wins against these bad teams right now. I mean, you need the you you have to have the wins against bad teams because mm-hmm. one, you, I mean, you you need wins period if you want to go to the playoffs. But also, you know, those are good confidence builder games. You have to have those. You can't you can't be down by twenty to the Heat and to the Magic and just say. Yeah, we're gonna come back and well, these guys this is fine. These guys suck. It's like, well, the magic, the magic. If you give the magic, if you spot the magic twenty points, they're still a professional NBA team. They're gonna run you. They're gonna run with it, right? They're not just gonna say, oh man, uh, uh, what do we do with a twenty point lead now? You know, no one does that. Okay, so uh, it's and and when they do play, hopefully, hopefully they play the really good teams much much farther down the road when everyone is well, everyone but Murray is healthy. And they've had some time to gel. I think that's really all it comes down to. It's just this team hasn't been healthy to start the year. And so, you know, there are going to be guys who are taking on different roles when they come back. And they're going to be, you know, Bryn Forbes, for example, has been starting this entire season. And then Derek White came back and Derek White started. Granted, Derek White only played 15 minutes and Bryn Forbes basically was the starter anyway. But um, you have to have you just have to have these guys running with each other for for multiple games at a time. And I understand there are going to be those DNP rest games. You know, I get that. That's what the Spurs do. Hopefully there will be a few less with, with the NBA working on its schedule to, uh, to lessen all the back-to-backs and the three and fives and whatnot. But, you know, those – it's it's you just need games with your teammates. You know you can only do so many things in practice. Yeah, I agree, and I, I think that again, that I think one of Pop's like uh, signature moments or dates, should I say, is like is like basically from now until Christmas to kind of evaluate the team, and then from from Christmas all the way to to um, after Christmas till like uh, around um, All Star break is kind of another timeline. So so yeah, so there there again, it's only ten games. Like you mentioned, I think chemistry is going to be a huge factor for this team on both ends of the floor. Um, ben, let's move on to our third topic, and this is something that I want to 
kind of keep consistent every time I have you on as a guest because you're our lead draft writer. I want to go ahead and talk about the most recent profiles that you've written up on some of the college prospects for the draft. So um, Spurs cast listeners, just so you know, just going in, here's some background, basically. Um, the Spurs right now, uh, if let's just say they won 42.5 games like their projection shows, they basically get the 21st pick in the draft uh, with their own pick. Now, because of the Kawhi Leonard trade and because the Raptors are good, if the Raptors stay you know, elite, basically, the Spurs will get their pick as long as it falls within the 21 through 30 range this this coming um, June. I mean, uh, what is it? June, I guess, or May? When is it? Yeah. June, I think. Yeah, June, my bad. Yeah, anyway. So right now, according to tankathon.com, uh, the Raptors would, would, would basically be giving the Spurs a 30th pick because Toronto has one of the best records in the league. So Ben's written a few profiles already on projectspurs.com, and, and there's three players I want to talk about that he's written about. Uh, the first guy is Romeo Langford. He's he's from Indiana, a 6'6 shooting guard, um, top 10 shooter. Uh, then it's DeAndre Hunter. Uh, out of Virginia, a 3-and-D-type player, Ben wrote. And then the last guy, the most recent guy, is uh, I think it's Sagaba Konate. Am I correct? Yep. Awesome, yep. nice. Okay, he's he's from West Virginia. He's a 6 aid power forward, um, shot-blocking, rebounding-type athlete. Uh, ben kind of compared him to Ben Wallace or, or, or Dewan Blair. So, Ben, what do you, what, what can you talk about? What can you say about these three guys? I know you've rewritten their profiles. So, well, Romeo Langford was uh, actually the last guy I did who is a, who's a lottery prospect. He's he is oh, that's right, yeah, the, probably the best or a top or one of the best three shooters in this draft in this upcoming draft. So he will go high. I wouldn't worry about him too much, but he's going to be he'll be a nice little shooter in the league. Um, DeAndre Hunter, though, guy who was great last year for Virginia in very limited minutes. He played about twenty minutes a game. Shot the ball well, did a lot of things, did kind of one of those Swiss Army Knife guys, does a lot of things well, but nothing really great or excellent. And so this year, he's going to be a little bit more of the focus on offense and defense for Virginia. He's definitely going to play more than 20 games. And a lot of people believe that his wrist injury last year in March was the reason that Virginia got knocked off as the one seed for the first time in tournament history. If they had had him, you know, I don't know if they go Final Four or anything like that, but they certainly don't lose that first game. So um, he's he's a really fun player to watch. Again, he could be a classic three and D guy, six seven. He has the tools to improve on the offensive end. He can do a lot of other things that um, he, he can do a lot of. He can do a lot more than people realize. Mm-hmm. He is. Um, he, he, you just got to watch his games. If you're in, if you're if you're East Coast or if you're on you know Central Time, you should be able to catch a lot of his games on ESPN. Virginia should be on there quite often this year. And uh, you know, going to Sagabe Kanate, this kid, I love this kid a lot. I love his game. He is he is always the toughest dude on the court. Uh, like Paul said, he's six eight. He's like two fifty. He doesn't take crap from anybody. He he only he only played 25 minutes a game last year, but he was top five in blocks per game. Now, he's going to get a lot more playing time this year as a junior. He's probably going to be closer to the 30, 35 minute uh, range as far as you know minutes per game goes. So you that number might balloon even, which is crazy to think about because that I mean, 3.2 blocks a game in only 25 minutes is just stupid to think about. I mean, there's no other way to – I don't know any other way to put it. It's just stupid. It's ridiculous. So the the kid has 
freakish athleticism, great first jump, can jump out of the building, can gets up off the off his second jump really quick as well. That's why he's so good at blocking shots. And he's a little undersized, but he he can still play some bully ball with guys his size. And his offensive game has been improving the last two years he's been at West Virginia. So if he can show that he can at least move his range out to 15 feet or so, he can help with spacing. But uh, another really fun watch, I think. You know, it, it, Hunter and Kanate kind of two very different styles of play. So if you like a rougher, a rougher, more physical game of basketball, Kanate is your guy. If you like a more finesse, uh, pretty game of basketball, Hunter is your guy to watch. So those so, are kind of my two. Okay, so I want to ask you about a little bit about Kanate. And this is more about a question about the whole league in general. Do, do guys like Kanate still have a job in the NBA? Because as we've seen, if you're just a, a, a traditional center, um, like Pau Gasol, like Jakob Pertl, those guys are not getting minutes uh, out in the league these days unless it's it's in small ball lineups. Um, and that was something Pop talked about. How he talked about he feels bad for big men these this, these days because they, they just seem bored because they have to sit out so long. Now, what about these undersized guys? Do you think like a guy like Dewan Blair or, or like a Ben Wallace would even fit in today's NBA because they, they can't space the floor? Um, but even though they have that that good defensive um, impact, besides the, despite their size, what 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 is your what are your thoughts about today's NBA with these um these like power forward six eight guys uh, at center? I think you said it perfectly he would he would end up being kind of a small ball five or a small ball four and um he, he's quick enough he can guard a couple of guys out on the perimeter he can probably guard most fours or fives and you know it again he he has to he does have to show that he's improved his range or he's extended his range because then he's he's a he would purely be a role player they'd have him out there for defense to kind of shut down a a power forward or a small ball five on the other team. And it's pop is right. It sucks to be a big man these days, because if you can't step out and shoot the three, or at least, you know, or take people off the dribble, then you're, you're not doing a whole lot for your team now. And it sucks. And, but that's the reality of the NBA. We no longer live in the eighties and nineties where you throw it into your big man and let him punish everybody. It's let me sit out on the three point line and, Waste up as many threes as I can because threes are worth more than two. Hashtag analytics. Yeah, yeah. Or, or you're that. What I can see working in his favor is if, like, he. I know you wrote that he's not a good pick and roll player yet, but if he can improve that part, just being a guy who can roll, somebody you know who could just go up there and get alley oop dunks and stuff, is also a, a job that people can still get if you're a big man in the NBA. Absolutely, Clint Capella just made a ton of money doing that. So yeah, I, there's definitely that role for somebody out there. So, like, I think that the only guy today that's getting legit minutes that that's kind of that undersized six eight frame kind of guy is I would think is Montrez O'Hara of the Clippers. He's still playing well and getting minutes. Is that kind of who who Kanate would need to try to become in terms of that type of skill set? I I think that's a really good comparison. I like that a lot, and I liked Montrez Harrell when he was coming out of Louisville. Um, he's it took him a few years there to really find his role. And now he's thriving in it. So, I mean, I could definitely see Kanate taking a similar path. And I, I, and I think Harold's gotten a lot better as a shooter as well, which has helped Mm -hmm. him. That's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, again, you, you have to be able to shoot in this league. That's the reality of the NBA. 
Okay, yeah. So again, SpursCast listeners, if you want to read all those full profiles by Ben, uh, go over to ProjectSpurs.com. Just basically click on one of the most recent ones. Then if you click on his, on Ben's name, it'll take you to all his prospects that he's written about uh, past and, and current. Um, okay, Ben, let's go to our last topic of the, of the episode uh, before we wrap up. And that's predictions for the next two games for the Spurs. Um, so Saturday night, the Spurs host the Houston Rockets for the first time. Uh, the Rockets have gotten off to a, ru- a rough start due to injuries, mostly. Uh, they are 4-5 and five on the year, as you and I are recording this. Um, they've won three games, though, in a row. Offensively, they're 25th, scoring 104.7 points per 100. Defensively, uh, 21st, uh, allowing teams to score 110.9 points per 100. Uh, ben, who do you think wins Saturday night in San Antonio between the Spurs and Rockets? Uh I like the Spurs in this game just because, again, the the Rockets have gotten out to a really bad start for them, and I think that's taking its toll on them, and I think the pressure is – it's early, but I still think the pressure is kind of messing with them a little bit. And for whatever reason, they just don't have the same rhythm they did last year. I, I, I like the Spurs in that game, and I like them in the second game too. Okay, I, I like the Spurs uh, in the game against Houston. Again, I, I feel like with Harden on the floor and Paul together, that that offense really isn't the 25th that they're that they're caught that you know that it says the stats say. However, the defense is not as good as it used to be last year. Obviously, you know you have Carmelo Anthony playing a lot of minutes now, and that's just you know taking a hit to their defense. They lost PJ. I mean, they lost. Uh, uh, Trevor Reza, they lost um, Luke Mbamute, and it's really shown statistically that they're actually bringing back their defensive um, coordinator or, or assistant coach, uh, Jeff Bezdelic, who's going to be coming back at the end of the month, they said, after he had, he had basically like retired early. So I, I think that I'm going to trust the Spurs' as offense and defense against the Rockets in this one on Saturday night. Now, Ben, on Monday, the Spurs play at Sacramento. Uh, the Kings, surprisingly, are off to a great start. They're 6-5. and five. Uh, however, they have lost their last two games that you and I are recording this. They're basically a league average team on both ends of the floor. Um, 16th offensively, uh, scoring 108.4 points per 100, and 17th defensively, allowing 109.7. Now, what's interesting, Ben, about the Kings is I went through their record, and they've only lost to actually good teams. They've actually beaten a lot of the bad teams, and they even beat Orlando and Miami, two teams that, that the Spurs just, just lost to. So did you say you have Sacramento on that one on Monday night? No, I, I've got the I mean, Spurs. Spurs. My bad. Yeah, you said Spurs. Yeah, I, I think they're, they're a bottom. It's funny. They're a bottom five team in opponent points per game, but they're a top five team in scoring. And they play at the quickest pace of any team in the league. I think, I don't know. I, I Something's got to give there. And I, I think it's going to be their defense is going to give out first before their offense really churns that game. I don't know. That's That's my gut. Okay, I actually went the opposite. I actually, I'm actually picking the Kings. I never thought I'd say that in these, you know, in all these years, but I'm actually going to give the Kings a chance here against the Spurs. I really like what they've done. Um, you know, like especially that I saw that they've only lost to the bad teams. I mean, to the good teams, and they've been a lot of the bad teams. And these are teams that the Spurs have struggled with, like Orlando, Miami, and, and like you mentioned, you know, their their, their pace. I don't, I don't know if San Antonio, their their mid range game can really um, stop that kind of pace. And then also that the, the Kings will take. You know, they have a lot more uh, three point volume than the Spurs do. Uh, so I'm taking Sacramento. You're taking um, San Antonio in, in that match on Monday. Okay, uh, thank you, Ben, for joining me on SpursCast episode 516. Again, SpursCast listeners, please follow him on Twitter. He's at the underscore Boomstein. Again, that's at the under, underscore Boomstein. Thanks, Ben. Absolutely. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you again to Ben for joining me on SpursCast episode 516. Again, if you're on Twitter, please follow him at the underscore Boomstein. Uh, before we close out this episode, I do want to just um, let you all know to go check out projectspurs.com. We have a lot of content up there now that the season is 10 games in. 
Um, as usual, after every after every game, Steven Anderson has this three standout players article to where he writes about who some of the standout players were for the Spurs um, each in each contest. Um, Nathan Kudla has his latest piece out. It's called Four Spurs Standouts in October, where he recaps some of the standout players from October. Uh, myself, I released a, a piece called Aldridge and Extra, Extra Possessions, where I discuss how LaMarcus almost gives the Spurs' offense some sort of like safety net because he's always down there by the rim uh, as one of the lone bigs, especially in closing lineups. And, and I got a quote from DeMar DeRozan where I asked him about LaMarcus' rebounding ability on offense, uh, and he gave me uh, you know his thoughts on that, on that, on that subject. Uh, Tom Petrini recently wrote about Aldridge as well. He uh, he has a piece called "Lamarcus Aldridge is Finding His Center," where he discusses how Lamarcus, you know, initially when he when he signed with the Spurs, he didn't really want to play the center role. But now that the, that the league has just basically shifted um, to small ball almost almost every night, um, he's he's used to playing the center. It's not an issue for him anymore. And then lastly, as I mentioned, uh, as Ben and I mentioned, uh, his latest piece, uh, the Spurs prospect watch, uh, Sagaba Kanate, uh, it's over on ProjectSpurs.com as well. So, again, keep checking out ProjectSpurs.com. The season is in full swing now. Um, also, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please leave us a rating and review. Thank you. Have a great day. <laughs>